This is the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and the spoken word from across the English-speaking world. Today, we're speaking with Father Patrick Summers. He's the superior of the District of Asia for the Society of St. Pius X. He was ordained in 2002, spent some time in India and then in England, recently was the prior of Post Falls, Idaho, before being named the District Superior of a vast number of countries, parishes, and chapels. We spoke with him recently about the challenges, the excitement, and the differences about working in such a different region than many of us are used to. If you'd like more information about the District of Asia for the Society of St. Pius X, please visit fsspx.asia. That's fsspx.asia to find out more about this mission, this apostolate, and ways you can help. We'll talk about that a little bit towards the end. With that said, let's turn to our interview with Father Summers. Talking with Father Patrick Summers. Hello, Father. How are you? Very good. Nice to hear your voice, Andrew. Good. You too. I was chatting with you a few months ago, uh, and you spoke a little bit with me about your travels. Uh, and now as the District Superior of Asia, you travel routinely from Singapore to India. And I don't know, you mentioned three or four other countries. Could you tell us a little bit about your schedule and what it is that you need to oversee? Yes, it's 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 an unusual district in many ways because it's spread out across what we call Asia, and um, I think there's roughly tw- ten countries that we that we visit or that we have uh, either priories in or weekend chapels or circuits or occasional visits depending on the the location so we go all the way from uh quarterly visits to the middle east for some reason that got stuck on us (laughs) Uh, middle east um just every quarter priory and quite a few mass centers in india also priory and mass centers in sri lanka traveling across in that area, you've got Japan, South Korea. Uh, then moving down, our priory, our, our district headquarters is in Singapore, which is um, one of the most densely populated countries in the world. And then we worked right, if you, you know, if you look on a map right next to it, all around it is Malaysia, which is across two different um, regions, and then Indonesia. Uh, so from Singapore, we take care of several chapels in Malaysia, different parts of Malaysia, and then also Indonesia. And then we also go to monthly masses, uh, for example, Japan, South Korea. We help out with that because the priests who take care of that are already very busy. So they need some, they need time off every so often. And then you move over to the Philippines and that's where we have three priories that are all very active and very busy. Um, We have Manila, which is a very large parish, almost getting up to about 900 parishioners. And then they take care of several chapels and circuits, and they have a school, of course, a very good school in Manila. And then moving down, you have uh, SSPX Brothers Novitiate in Iloilo, the town of Santa Barbara. And that's been a, a long-standing uh, priory, and Brothers Novitiate does very good work there. They also take care of Cebu and other other circuits from there. Further down, you have the largest uh, other island of the Philippines, Mindanao, which is, we have a priory in Davao, which is the largest city there. And they take care of quite a few large mass centers in Mindanao. Um, We have a fellow American there, Father uh, Timothy Pfeiffer is is the prior there, doing very good work. Um, In fact, across Asia, I think I have five American priests uh, in total. So So as the Superior of Asia, you're overseeing what, six priories, 30 or so chapels in, what, 10 countries? Um, yes. 
Um, I just put in the, in the most recent Apostle magazine, which we've just we're just mailing out now, but it's already online. I think I have a, an infographic in there that explains it. Yeah, it's, it's um, I have to almost look it up right now, but we have six priories, we have 16 priests, um, one brother's novitiate for training uh, SSPX brothers. We have also just recently uh, started a Society of St. Pius Dent Oblates novitiate in the last year. Uh, so we train um, young ladies or ladies from quite a few countries go to Davao in the Philippines to this uh, new novitiate where there's at least 10 to 15 sisters there either in training or doing the training. So yeah, 40, I think we, we count 40 chapels across 10 countries, uh, roughly around 4,000 faithful. And then we also, the good news is we also have besides the brothers and the sisters from our district, we've got 11 seminarians at Holy Cross in Australia. So that's, we're very happy with that. I mean, we always want more, but sure. That's amazing. So if we could pivot to the Philippines for a minute, there was a new chapel that was consecrated there a couple of years ago, uh, 2017, I think. Was it at their brother's novitiate? started really at the end of Father Adam Purdy's time there. Okay. Father Conrad Daniels is a South African priest, but he's I think he's been a priest 30 years. He's actually an engineer. So he did most of the design and construction. The brothers did a lot of the work. Uh, it took him about eight years to build this ma- massive and beautiful it church is. in honor of Our Lady of the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady. I was just there a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's not quite finished everything, all the decoration, but it, it is it is it is impressive when you when you go to it. It's been put on the local tourism board uh, <laughs> website. People wow. go, yeah, yeah. It's funny because it, it's so unique in that region. It's such a magnificent church. That's great. And, you know, we could we could spend a lot of time going through each one of the countries, but just to touch upon this for a second, historically, the Philippines has been a very Catholic country, uh, at least since the time that Spain was there and then the United States was there. And, and it, you know, at least Catholicism was still there. Um, but speaking generally, how is the faith in the Philippines? Um, how, how do you see it, Father? That's a very good question, because it's true. We all we all when you hear the word Philippines, you think. A very Catholic country, a country that was uh, the the faith was made very strong by the Spanish uh, missionaries and the Spanish culture there, um, and so it, it reminds you a lot of let's say Mexico or Ireland or maybe Italy, these countries which were such bastions of the faith that you just when you hear the name you think of a Catholic country, mm-hmm. but. Um, what we, of course, what the the priests on the ground are finding out, find out very quickly, is that it's a cultural and residual Catholicism, but not much beyond that. So, mass attendance is is not always very impressive amongst the the regular Catholics. They'll definitely be at church on, let's say, Christmas or uh, the the patron feast day of their of their church. They have a big fiesta and they'll have a big uh, celebration for that. Certain processions are very popular, and there's cultural things that are very Catholic. Um, but beyond that, there's just a lot of indifference. So it's quite shocking when you see it. Even even what's left of the Catholic culture is is very quickly disappearing because there's no practice of it. So it's very similar to I guess well. Uh, everywhere, which is sad to hear. As far as the way in which you and the other priests work with the faithful, uh, from a pastoral standpoint, how different is it working 
and, and I know we're talking about 10 different countries with unique cultures here. So generally speaking, maybe, or maybe, maybe pick out a country or two if that's easier, Father, but how different is it working pastorally with people in the Philippines or India um, compared to people in Post Falls, Idaho, where you were the prior just about a year ago? Um, that's a, it's a good, another good question because, yeah, I think that's one thing we do forget about is that we, we, we can easily make the mistake of applying either standards or practices or Catholic things that we think are the most Catholic thing in the world. And then you go to a culture that is, you know, like I said, we, we you could be in a uh, majority Hindu country where we work, or you could be in a, a majority Muslim country where you work, where it's actually faith will clearly know that they're not allowed to convert people. It's against the law and they will be, they will be severely punished or removed or I mean, there are, yeah, there are countries or, or it's either severely Hindu, maybe or severely Muslim. And you start reading the lives of the missionaries because you have to take into account how did these guys operate, these great right. men and women in the religious orders when they first arrive in these places. What did they do? And, and I think we're learning on the go. We're learning as we as we go along uh, how to treat these situations with a, a lot more prudence than I think we used to. Because um, sure. I remember I, I was in India 15 years ago and things we did 15 years ago, we would never do now insofar as publicity, uh, online presence because of the, the the way the technology has advanced be much more careful how things how we operate in certain countries some countries were very much a legal presence and there's no problem other right. countries very much um, the faithful are, are, are begging for the, the mass the sacraments the Catholic faith but their government is very much against that and so right. you have to yeah. so I would say it's different in many ways because in America let's say Post Falls a priest can walk down the street and do whatever he wants. He can stand in the corner and preach the faith if he wants, and there's no problem whatsoever. He can get on the radio. He can, he can get on the internet. He can do what he wants and 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 spread the faith in whatever way he wants, whatever way is possible, which would never be thinkable in some of these countries. I mean, even in the Philippines, which is a nominally Catholic country, the the government is not necessarily. Uh, pro-Catholic. Um, there's been a lot of, of fighting between the president of the Philippines and the Catholic bishops. Um, sometimes the president's right, uh, sometimes right. he's not. It, it's very sad to see a, a country of you know, 80, 90 percent Catholics uh, have a very un-Catholic government. Yeah. So if I could ask a specific question. This came up a couple months ago. Again, when I saw you, you were uh, in the States visiting for a family member's wedding. Uh, and you gave the sermon at the nuptial mass. Uh, you were talking about the rings used in the ceremony. You talked about the symbolism, um, the blessing of them, and you mentioned something. I, I was going to ask you about it afterwards, but never had the chance. You said that in India, instead of rings, they trade necklaces during a marriage ceremony. So that got me thinking, is that something that, I don't know, for lack of a better word, you allow uh, as a priest when you're in these varied cultures Okay, I, I guess my overall question is, how much of the local customs and practices uh, do you integrate into the faith when you're in Sri Lanka or Indonesia? You know, you read about the missionaries in Mexico in the 1500s and the 1600s, and they allowed certain practices to remain uh, and to become integrated. Uh, so could you speak about this a little bit? <laughs> yeah, another good question, because it's one that was often debated, as you, as you say. If you read the old books, the... Um the missionaries, even amongst themselves, between Jesuits and Franciscans, or within within orders, or, or back and forth to Rome about can we do this, can we not do this, how far can you go um, to to validate the local culture? Is it is it pagan practice, or is it a practice that's indifferent and can be made Catholic? Um, 
you know, so I, that's a, that's a that was a massive debate for for many I would say many 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 years amongst the missionaries, and sometimes it just came to a, a, a method of operating. Well, it was okay. We all generally agree that this practice here is in itself not against the Catholic faith. It doesn't endanger the Catholic faith. So we we try to baptize it. We try to. Uh, make it a, a Catholic understanding, so that so that we can we the people are more comfortable with it, and they they see the faith is not against them, but rather working with them to supernaturalize their their normal uh, things. And some things the culture is just you know it's absolutely it cannot be brought into the Catholic faith. Some some type of practice, you know, you have the famous uh, I'm going to get the word wrong. I think it's sati. Uh, you know, when the British arrive in, in India, they they see this widow burning when the when the husband dies, the wife must throw herself on the fire right. uh, of his cream or whether willingly or unwillingly, she must go with him. That's a practice that was not allowed. So just to be clear, SSPX generally not okay with widow burning? Depends <laughs> <laughs> on who, who we're talking about. I mean, it's, it, I think, it's, and then you, I think you have another complication this whole matter is that there are a lot of things that, let's say in the 1930s, 40s, you can read in the books where the, the Catholic Church was operating in certain countries and certain practices they were like discouraging the faithful from and, and not allowing saying, okay, no, no, now that you're Catholic, you don't do this anymore. Um, we have something better uh, that's more pleasing to God. And this this thing here is that's, you know, it's the worship of idols or, or the worship of ancestors or, or, or whatever the problem was, being very general. And then, of course, you've got this massive problem that all of a sudden in the late 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, in, of this last century, you've got, you know, the, the, the ravages of the Novus Ordo where it, it totally confused people to to no end um, because for you know for a century or two they've been moving away from these pagan things, getting more of a Catholic culture, and all of a sudden, well, no, actually, enculturation and and sharing the the local culture, whether it's pagan or not, is a very good thing. And and then it, everything goes backwards. Then and it's like, oh no, no, we're allowed to do this now. And so, so the poor society by the time walks in there, it's an absolute minefield because you're trying to figure out. Well, was that allowed before the council, or is this just just something more recent with the council? Or sure. you know, you're you're really trying to you're you're researching a lot, trying to find what was done a hundred years ago, try to make a judgment there. And you want to balance it too, right? You don't want to just walk in and wipe away everything that they know. It it brings to mind the the missions of California, you know, more locally here in the states. I was just there recently visiting some of the missions and a little museum off to the side of, of one of these missions, there was a monstrance that was, you know, in a case and it was built by the natives uh, and they actually wove the, the surrounding part of it out of reeds or these grasses. Uh, and my first thought was kind of, yeah, you know, it's not great. Uh, but then after reading about it, it was Father Junipero Serra. He allowed it and he even treasured this gift uh, that they gave him because it was their best work. And it was for God and it was a gift of respect for father. You know, they gave it to father and you know, how horrible would it be if he just took it and, you know, said it wasn't good enough. Uh, so he used it and it was totally acceptable. I think exactly. I think and the church and the missionaries of, of, of great sanctity were very smart in many ways and saying, okay, obviously in the early stages and the very beginning steps, they were always very tolerant of these things and, and understood that, you know, as long as it wasn't against the faith, okay, maybe it wasn't perfect, but we're going to move them slowly. And, and it takes, you know, they were always quick to try to get good schools going, try to get a good catechism program going. And, and you know, they knew it would take them several generations uh, to get some of these practices reformed or, or improved upon or, or, or removed even sometimes. Sure. You know, I'm sure the Franciscan missionaries in California were thinking, okay, this is something, this is the best they have. And 
that's what you're supposed to give God is the best you have. So, okay, that's the best they can do. Right. So pivoting to India for a second, um, we've heard some news recently about the consoling sisters of the sacred heart, uh, the orphanage and the, the school that they're doing. Um, they're doing a lot of wonderful work in the last 10 or 12 years or so, it seems. And, and you've been working with them. It's actually developed a lot since I was there because I was there in the very beginning when they first moved down to the Priory from another state. Um, and they've developed a lot. You know, when they moved down, they were just, you know, ladies who were they were running an orphanage. It was that simple. And not just orphanage, but also for for older older men or women, but usually older women who have been abandoned. And um, so, no, it was um, it's developed a lot. So when they moved down, we we started a school. Um, they weren't they're not so much even now directly involved in the school that they help on any way they can. But the sisters there, their main um, work apostolate is orphans and and the elderly, um, and of course their own religious life now because they've 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 become they've been trained by this Italian order of the consoling sister of the Sacred Heart. And um, so really, they, they, they assist in other ways, of course, but the, their priority in, uh, in outside work is orphans and uh, the elderly. So the, the school there has developed a lot. We're actually looking to, to get some land and actually build a proper school. We've been renting buildings for, for about 10, 15 years, trying to grow, but we can't because we don't have the buildings. So we're, we're actually looking to do that soon. But we also have a new convent there of what's called the Reparation Sisters. Okay, so they... They're sort of a semi-cloistered order of, of nuns who work for the reparation for sins of mankind, and they they pray most of the day. They do do some work, you know. They do they make uh, they make linens and they do other things for the for the helping the priests. They teach catechism, and that's a quite a, quite a new thing in the last few years. And they're actually growing too. There's vocations to both those. There's actually two con. The priests are very busy there. They've got two convents, uh, and they've got a school, and they've got quite a few circuits. So. Um, they're very, I think they're doing a heroic job out there. Um, I'm very impressed with them. That's great news. So let's turn towards the end here about different ways we can help. Um, the U S district gets some requests for information from people, uh, mostly young adults. Um, they want to know if they can come in and help in some of these missions. Uh, one young lady asked about coming for the summer and the fall in the Philippines. Um, another person, young man, asked about coming and working in India. Uh, is that something that you welcome? I think or? it's an excellent thing for young adults. They finish education, they're kind of like, what do I do now? I'm not quite sure. Do I have a vocation? Do I, should I be getting married? What, what's, my, what, what's my career? Uh, we've actually had a lot of good young adults, men and women. Um, I think the, the rule we're trying to keep is we're hoping they're 21 or over because it makes it a bit easier. There's actually been a good number of vocations, men and women who, who, have, who have spent a year in, in India or the Philippines and then gone off to the religious life. And other ones have, have been out there working for six months or a year and then found their, their future spouse, um, who is another volunteer out there working. Um, but also just have, have grown up immensely. And everyone I've talked to, whether they be whatever country they went to, I think especially for an American to go see another completely different world yeah. uh, especially not not just as a tourist going through a hotel in some major city but actually spending six months or, or longer in the in the down in the nitty-gritty of the in the ditches with these people and, and sure. actually doing some real charitable work that requires sacrifice they realize that they've been very given very much in the united states they've been very i would say spoiled and, and not in a bad way but they become much more patriotic and much more charitable, I think, and ready to apply themselves for their own country. Then they realize what a good base they have to, to build upon in the United States and they stop complaining 
and stop grumbling and actually say, hey, wait a minute, you know, the only way we're going to convert our own country is by, by giving ourselves to, to the work of souls, our own soul and then the souls of our family or the souls of our parish or people outside, conversions. They, they see the real need for apostolic zeal, even as just lay people, they understand that. When, when they see the, the reality of other cultures, they say, wow, we need to, you know, we need to get busy here. Well, we're going to link to a way that people can get in touch and send an inquiry um, here in the description, Father. It sounds great. Um, lastly, obviously, money would be helpful for the foreign missions, um, but people also ask sometimes about sending material needs, uh, whether it's rosaries or scapulars or miraculous medals or other things. Uh, is that a burden to have things shipped to you, or would you rather just have the cash and you can purchase the things you need? Or um, it, It's a good question because, yes, it's true. That's one of those things that comes up. Father, can we send you rosaries or scapulars? I would say... Um, for any of those kind of requests, they simply need to uh, contact the District of, of Asia, our, our website. They, we have a contact, you know, and then ask us what they would like to send because it's true that some places have boxes of rosaries and they have nowhere to do them. You know, they, they, they have more than they'll ever need. Other places need them more. So for distribution, it's very good that they they contact us to see what's the best use of them. Um, and so far as material needs, I mean, what we're also working on in Asia is – now that it's more stabilized, we're trying to get the each local chapel to be more as much as they can be a little bit self-sufficient. And then we look for donations from other countries for uh, projects that there's no way the locals could afford um, the local people in each country, for example, trying to put together some type of church or chapel. I mean, some of these people, uh, they're having they've had mass for 20 years in a, in a bamboo hut. And it's just amazing. Uh, they, for them, that's all they could ever afford. Um, it's, it's all they can do to even pay for the bus fare for the priest to get there. That's, that's sure. enough for them. So that's where we say, listen, okay, we, we try to do some fundraising. We try to ask people overseas that, Hey, listen, your $25 actually goes a long ways out here because of the exchange rate, because the cost of the cost of construction, you can build a beautiful church, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, when you think about the cost in the United States to build, it's uh, labor and materials are cheaper out here, so it, it works out better. But no, uh, generally speaking, we we are always we have operating expenses to house the priests, take care of the the basic material needs, so that they understand that they give themselves up for the missions, but the missions are hoping to take care of them as well. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> with, only, with only sixteen priests, uh, you don't want you won't, you don't want a single one to go down because they're so valuable. Uh, over here, I mean, they're valuable in every country. I mean, you know, no country is going to say they have too many priests. But when you look at, you know, five time zones, 10 countries, and you say, okay, we got 16 priests for this. It's like, no. <laughs> you have to prioritize and say, okay, here's where we're going to put our our resources and, and try to take care of our resources. And that's where we ask for people, you know, to help with from overseas. People have been very generous in the past, and um, we hope they continue to be for, for our just are just basic operation. We, we we don't live in a very, um, all of our priests live in very humble circumstances and um, they're very generous. They're zeal, I would say. Well, Father, thank you uh, for everything you and the priests and sisters are doing. Uh, and thank you for helping to coordinate this massive effort. It's, uh, it's no big deal, right? Just District Superior of the largest continent on earth. <laughs> just another day, you know. <laughs> all right, thanks for your time, Father. Thank you for listening to the SSPX podcast. If you would like more information about the District of Asia and the work that the Society of St. Pius X is doing, you can visit fsspx.asia. 
If you'd like to donate, there's a donate button at the bottom of the screen, and you can find the different ways that you can help. If you'd like other information about visiting or about working, again, use that contact form on fsspx.asia for more information. And for more information about the SSPX podcast, just go to sspxpodcast.com. There you can find an archive of all of our old interviews, questions with father, sermons, and much more. You can find links to donate, to help, and to get involved by asking a question for our Questions with Father series. We have another one of those coming out very, very soon. And if you'd like to assist us with this endeavor, you can do that just by subscribing. Click subscribe on whatever podcast program or app you're using and leave us a review. That helps us quite a bit by sharing the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism with more people. Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless you.